determine if ally was a title that you were going to add to your bio or if it was going to be a way of life you walk in allyship you are acting as an ally welcome to beyond allyship a podcast that helps humans shift their understanding of what it means to be an effective ally and show up in allyship for marginalized communities Let's get it popping. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Allyship podcast. I am your host, Dr. J Pop, and I'm extremely excited to have with me my friend and colleague, Katrina Pilkington. Welcome, Katrina. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. So, let me tell you a little bit about my friend, okay? okay. First of all, she's brilliant. But just in her own words, Katrina is an equity-centered wellness educator. Katrina grew up as a multiracial black human who struggled with exclusion, leading her to delve into the world of diversity, equity, inclusion at a very young age. And it was through feeling like she did not belong that she knew she had to do the work to bring humans together as a community. As a mother of a very cute little one, Katrina works now to help folks liberate themselves through health and wellness so that everyone can do their internal work to ensure that we are unified and not uniform as a collection of humans in our world. I love that last sentence. I, I mean, just really who did. came up with that? I don't even I told you, a brilliant mind did. A brilliant mind. Good for Sidebar, them. y'all. Sidebar. <laughs> we got to go see Janelle Monet this week and Katrina came up to, to hang out with myself and Dynasty Hunt, who you all have heard um, earlier in the podcast. And we just had a blast. So I'm grateful that she took some time out to hang out with me again. We did. It was the perfect overnight <sighs> to see them. That performance was brills. So totally worth it. Yeah, they were definitely amazing, but we'll we'll save that for another we'll another podcast when we talk about inter- entertainment. There but you go. today we are going to talk about diversifying your life. Katrina has come into building allyship since the beginning. I met her in 2020. We spoke at a summit sleep together, summit, yeah. a sleep summit. That's mm-hmm. how we met and I just loved her perspective. I loved her approach to talking about bias. Um, Bias has become a hot topic recently, of course. And for some reason, it's something that people are scared of. (laughs) They're scared of talking about it. They're scared of finding out what their own biases are. And why I loved Katrina's approach was because it was scientific, because bias Mm -hmm. is just that. It's science. And spoiler Mm -hmm. alert, we all have it. So... Mm One thing that you and I both do when we have presentations is we talk about definitions first, because Mm -hmm. if we are not all on the same page with what we think it means, then our conversations will not be aligned. Mm -hmm. So my first question for you, Katrina. Yes. What is bias and how does it work? Well, they are preconceived notions or thoughts about persons, places or things many times of which we have no idea we have in our beautiful brains because Mm. of our conditions, because of what we've been um, influenced by, raised around, whatnot. It's what we believe about the world, pretty much, Mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Um, A lot of people like to say the word has to do a lot with what we think about other humans, which is very true, but can also relate to places, things, or just experiences and environments as well. 
I think the shocking thing that we all learn when I've taken your workshops is really how much information we take in that is conscious versus subconscious. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, if we look at the world today, even compared to about 100 years ago, it's the world of information influx. There's just information being thrown at your face 24-7 all the time. And so your Mm -hmm. beautiful brain, as unique as it is, is trying to find shortcuts and patterns in order to arrange all this information in your head. And so when you are operating consciously, whether it's talking to people and whatnot, you're also doing a lot of unconscious things, right? Breathing, mm-hmm. mindlessly doing things, but subconsciously also your brain's just trying to help you create those shortcuts. And about 90% of the information you take in at any given point is processed unconsciously without you knowing it. So it's mm-hmm. doing it with good intentions. However, it's not making the best pattern in your brain when it comes to people and places and things you've been exposed to, unfortunately. Got you. So what are some ways that we can actually uncover the biases that we obviously hold? Sure. I mean, a lot of folks might be familiar with an IAT test, which is an implicit association test um, created by Harvard, where you can go on and look at different categories of people and see like, if you have a preference between the this or that of those types of people. Sometimes our biases, and many times, come out in conflict situations or in scenarios mm-hmm. where you might not have been exposed to a certain type of person or place or thing, and then you make a comment, and somebody of that opposing thought or identity notices it, and it's kind of called out. So a lot of people actually have their biases called out to them in those situations, mm-hmm. and it's less of an opportunity for them to soak it in and sit in that bias recognition, and it's more of a situation where people tend to disagree and get defensive. So mm-hmm. multiple ways, but usually it's always when it's too late. You don't really notice it happening when it <laughs> happens. You're not like, oh, I just met this identity of person, and look, I created a bias in my head. I felt it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally going to come out when it's in a heated, many times, scenario. We mentioned the IAT, and I would love for you to tell the people what the best way to take that is, because I believe it has been kind of muddled and yes. people don't know how to appropriately use that test. Yes. I think the biggest thing, and I say this in, before every workshop, every type of learning session, is to ground yourself, remove defensiveness, remove assumptions, remove anything from yourself that's going to trigger you to try to win this assessment. You're not going to win. It's not going to feel good. It's not meant to feel good. It's actually supposed to feel like a video game. We're just trying to choose one of two choices. That's it. You're not trying to think because that delay in seconds is what's creating the computer or the software to understand that you have a bias. So just go into it with an open mind, depersonalize what you expect to get out of it. And when you get your results, just know that they're results. They just show that there's a blind spot or an obvious glitch and perhaps the way you think about folks and Mm -hmm. operate from there. See it completely as something that could be helpful for you versus Mm -hmm. something that's telling you that you're a bad person. You're not a bad person. You're just human. And you're just trying to operate in a very explosive world that's on fire. That's what I try to tell people. (laughs) Do you suggest people take those tests more than once and in different mental states? Do it in a room that's quiet without a lot of interruption or any interruption and just take each result and do the next one. Don't try to win and redo them. Now, if you want to redo them, 
maybe redo them in like six months after you've changed some of your habits mm. to see if your brain subconsciously mm. has benefited from some of those exposures. But that's not what this is about. It's just about showing you where you are. It's like me telling my daughter when you get a B on your math test, the B is not bad. It's just telling me perhaps these specific mm. areas are where mommy should work with you on math skills. That's it. So right. same thing with this test. It's not a pass or a fail. It's telling you right. you have a preference, which is a bias, for XYZ identity out of these two. That's it. It's funny. I spoke about this in a presentation a couple of months ago, but you talking about it coming up in conflict. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that you can respond <laughs> if you are the person that you find out in the midst of conflict that there is a bias that you hold and you've been called out or called in? What are some yeah. of the best ways to respond to that? Yeah, I would highly recommend folks read the four agreements. And one of those four agreements is to not take things personal and not mm -hmm. make assumptions is my other second favorite. And I say those two things because in those moments, people have the opportunity to sit and just kind of pause and even offer an apology. I apologize if it came across that way. Totally depersonalize from the situation and then go back and take time to expand upon it and find out a little bit more about what happened. I just don't think that that happens more so than people being like, I didn't mean it that way, or that's not what I said. And it, it's just a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding because people are just different. Mm -hmm. Extremely. Mm -hmm. And I think when it happens in conflict, you don't get the chance to grieve the fact that you didn't learn this so that you wouldn't make this mistake. Mm -hmm. And in this world where we are all expected to be perfect, <laughs> mm -hmm. it makes sense that defensive comes up first but yeah. I'm thank you for sharing with us, first of all, that resource, which I will make sure is added in the show notes. But I think adopting the idea that you can't take anything personally until it actually is you and the person that right. it's personal, then it allows you to move through those things a little bit. I won't say easier, but I will yeah. say process it faster, at least. Right. Yeah, yeah. reduce the need for conflict. Conflict is not always something that needs to be resolved or to be like discussed, it can just be mitigated. It can be mm -hmm. mitigated in a very comfortable, calm way. But as humans, we don't really want it nor want to deal with it. So we like shove it away and we don't want to like go forward, engage in the conflict, disagree, high five mm -hmm. and keep it pushing. We just want to be right. And that's not how to create mutual understanding. Right. And understanding there can be healthy conflict. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. So... I mean, we're talking about people right now, but earlier you talked about how this could be anything. It could be a person, mm -hmm. it could be a place, it could be a thing. Mm -hmm. So could you share with us just some of the ways that we are influenced? Some of the sure. avenues, the pathways that influence us? Yeah, I mean, it can start as early as childhood through our upbringing. It can go into what you were exposed to with media, even if it's in the background, listening to mm -hmm. certain news outlets and news channels. And it can definitely play into what's happening out in the world today when we're on our phone all day, doom scrolling and consuming social media, not to say it can't be a great place, because for me, I enjoy it. However, many of us just look at information or just laugh at memes and things, which again, not knocking it, but if you're exposing yourself to so many certain types of stereotypes or ways of believing about a certain identity or person, 
constantly, again, even if it's in the background, it can still create a pattern in your brain because it's an exposure. And so when mm-hmm. I talk about the word upbringing, some people tell me, well, Katrina, I totally disagree with the way I was brought up. And I acknowledge and understand that and explain to people that's great. However, it does not mean that those relatives, those things you watched on TV, those books that were read to you or were not introduced to you in school or perhaps Mm -hmm. were banned from your school um, (laughs) did not influence you in a way that you now think this or that about that particular situation. It can still do Mm -hmm. that. I, I had a conversation with someone who said that their immediate family and surrounding people had ideas about Black people growing up. Um, However, this was in the era of Family Matters and uh, Moesha and Mm. Fresh Prince, where you were actually seeing healthy and accurate Mm -hmm. portrayal of Mm -hmm. the Mm multidimensional, you know, African-American. And that simply changed how they viewed Black people because they said, well, what we're hearing... And because all they had was what was on TV, what we're seeing is positive. What we're hearing is negative. We're seeing more positive. We're going to go with the positive. And just in that simple shift as a young person, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a child, it changed how they viewed and how they moved through the mm-hmm. world. And I thought that was a perfect example <laughs> of being totally. able to just, you know, shift mm-hmm. what you've been what you've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And it can also go the opposite direction, too. For example, we say representation matters all the time. So Mm -hmm. for those of us like myself who grew up in the 80s, not seeing a lot of black women and black people in general or just brown people in different spaces and roles and places, that lack of representation, that lack of exposure makes people feel in certain identities and populations that these things are not attainable. It's impossible Mm -hmm. to see somebody in this space. And that can also go for folks of the opposite identity. And then I could also go down the rabbit hole of epigenetics and talk about how DNA level, even if you disagree with the way that somebody was in your ancestral line with the mm. way that they thought or their biases, does not mean that that's now deeply embedded in you until you start to heal and uncover what that is in a cathartic way. Yes. There's no more that needs to be said. You just I know. You, you put a I mean, pin on that one perfectly. Just please, please <laughs> heal. Please go heal. Please. Uh, we all do need that. In some of our conversations that we've had in Building Allyship, some of the workshops, you've talked about repetition suppression in relation to bias. And I, we actually kind of mm. just touched on it a little bit. But it's not something that you usually hear mainstream. It's mm. not a term that you use hear used. And I would love mm. for you to unpack that for us in the yes, audience absolutely. right now. I believe I first realized that term reading my grandmother's hands um, mm-hmm. by Resma. I never pronounced the last name correctly. That one. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all about, if I use the example of people believing that certain black folks are aggressive, angry, dangerous, it's all about the fact that if sometimes you don't have exposure or constant contact with a certain identity or type of person, your body is going to go into fight or flight mode and have more of a tendency to fear that identity or person purely because there's not been a constant exposure to them to build comfort. So it's Mm. not even sometimes people's choice or them meaning to walk across the street or clinch their purse or run from a certain type of person or to assume, like in many of our situations, I'm sure you can relate to, thinking I'm aggressive, thinking I'm assertive, thinking I'm just bossy. It's probably Mm -hmm. because you've not really been around me a lot. You've not really been Mm -hmm. around my type of person. 
So having repetitious suppression means having constant contact with all different types of influence, particularly those with stereotypes attached to them, in order to reduce that tendency to have flight or flight and also make sure that you are then embracing those differences in a safer way. Because if you can embrace them, if you can understand that they exist, then you open up yourself to curiosity and it allows somebody to be themselves. Because like you said, if I know you're going to think that I'm an angry black woman or think mm-hmm. that I'm bossy simply because of the stereotypes that mm-hmm. exist, I'm not going to be able to be my full self mm-hmm. around you. Absolutely. And that's not fun. No. <laughs> and it it's doesn't even allow as, for the connection. Right. And it's even as simple as kids. I have a child, never thought I'd be a mom. I have one in my home now every day, all day, love her to pieces. <laughs> However, I used to be like, kids are a lot. I don't want to be around them. No way. No, thank you. But constantly being around kids, I've learned that they're actually highly intelligent little miniature people, which they are, but they actually yes. are very smart and they will call you out. And as long as you're open to it, it's not what they're saying is bad or wrong or not mature like an adult. They actually are just very honest. And so it's the same thing. Being around certain types of identities on a constant basis removes that fight or flight tendency to be triggered or react or to be scared. That's very unnecessary. Yeah, you consider when kids first encounter something different and they stare Mm -hmm. and parents always say, don't stare, it's rude. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, they're trying to learn it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're trying to process what they're seeing Mm -hmm. and they're taking it all in. It's not, Mm -hmm. oh, it's different. I'm looking. It's more, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm trying to learn like, hmm, that's what's a part of a wheelchair and that's what's a part of this. And I've never seen anything like that. So I I love you acknowledging that children really are not blank slates. (laughs) They They are intelligent little humans that really could help us unpack some of our stuff. Totally. And even like I live in Miami, my daughter has seen a lot of unhoused folks lately. And unfortunately, a lot of people see unhoused folks being in the black community. And I had this Mm -hmm. conversation with a parent the other day about like, what would I say? Why is that black person homeless? And I explained to my daughter that we don't assume why this person is unhoused. And I use the word Mm -hmm. unhoused. And I also explained that we don't know their condition, how they got there, and we don't judge them. And we just know that we wish them well. We help them the best we can in the safest way possible. But I'm not going to teach her to be scared of somebody who's unhoused and create mm-hmm. that stereotype in her brain that many of us were taught growing up. I'm going to teach her compassion with mm-hmm. some discernment about certain situations just in general. I love that. So I would love to give the people some reflection questions and maybe some sure. tools that could help them just delve into their own bias and what they view and what they believe. Sure. So let's start with influence. What are some questions you can ask yourself to examine the circles of influence that you exist in? I like to have people look at their circles of influence. Who are your neighbors? <laughs> who are your children's parents that you hang out with? Who are your friends? Um, who are the people that you seek advice from. I know there's a saying of you are just as successful as the five people closest to you. Who are those five people and what are their identities? Not to say it's bad if they're the same, but it can show you what a limited vantage point you have if there is one in your life. Mm -hmm. So kind of take a look at the inventory, like you said, of the circles of influence around you. And then I mentioned social media. What are you consuming? How often are you consuming it? And is it healthy Mm -hmm. for you? Is it growing 
your aperture for identity, or is it kind of toxic, unhealthy, not productive, no offense, just saying, um, and how can you shift that? Because social media in and of itself can be a definite positive place, especially during COVID it was, to increase your aperture, to be influenced by people most different from you. Like if you're a wellness individual, wellness professional, looking at people who are body positive in the way that they train and they are a practitioner versus assuming that you have to follow the same conventions of fitness trainers and the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about questions that you ask yourself when you are attempting to diversify your life? Mm -hmm. Because I think that the rush is, I'm going to go follow all the people Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go do this. But I feel like there needs to be intention Mm -hmm. with diversifying your life too. So are there any, you know, tools or tactics that you could give? Yeah. I think the biggest question people want to ask themselves is am I doing this from an authentic place? Am I naturally putting myself out there to meet folks? Am I naturally putting myself out there to embrace and absorb information even if on social media? And am I doing it from a place of being an open learner? Am, mm. I, not ta- am I not talking more than I'm asking questions? Because mm. asking questions and sitting and listening and observing and reading and whatnot without having a retort is the key. Not doing okay. it from a savior standpoint I could go off about. Um, toxic traits of white supremacy culture, but not doing it because you're trying to save or be um, the hero and not trying to have pity. You're doing it because you're trying to close the proximity and increase your perspective with other people. I love that. And that savior mentality is, I think, where a lot of people come from in the beginning until they realize that our wellness is connected, our ecosystems are connected um, your wellness is important because it impacts me. I had a right. friend put up a post the other day and it was a video of James Baldwin. And he said something simple. He said, if I'm hungry, you are not safe. Mm-hmm. And it was the thought of if I'm lacking mm-hmm. and you you have and don't care mm-hmm. to give, then mm-hmm. you're not safe. And if mm-hmm. you can't see that connection, then it is hard to jump into this work. Because you do feel like you're Superman just, Mm -hmm. you know, flying around the world with your privilege, not understanding it's something that we have to share. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, our society perpetuates this capitalist society mentality of there's never enough and there's a scarcity Mm -hmm. mindset. And I see that Mm -hmm. a lot here, especially where I live, of the regentrification of these beautiful black neighborhoods happening without any resources being provided to these folks that are actually been given that land to live there back during Mm -hmm. redlining. So I think it's important for people to see how they're attached to a cause and to know that if they don't advocate for the most marginalized of humans, their own liberation and their own rights are going to be taken away. We've seen it happen in the last year or two, and Mm -hmm. it's going to continue to happen until people stop putting their selfish needs and their need to grasp at straws ahead of there's enough for all of us if we work together. That again, you tied a bow on it. Um, I you've shared some books, the Four Agreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about my grandmother's hands. Are there any other resources that you would suggest for someone who's saying, "Okay, I, I really do want to delve into this"? Where should I go? Yeah, I know that one of the I don't want to say easiest reads. It's just a good reflective read. Um, one of the books I'd recommend would be the Person I Mean to Be. Um, I will Mm -hmm. let you 
There you go. I know you've done studies on it, but that's a great book um, for folks to delve into. Well, I want you to share just one thing that you would like to say to the people. And it could be something that's on your heart. It could be something that's part of your message that you share wherever you go. But what what is one thing you'd like to share with the people before we wrap this up? Well, I saw this on the Instagram post and I feel terrible that I can't quote the exact person who posted it. But I tell people all the time, I have been in the most only spaces in my life, meaning I'm the only. I'm the only Blasian mm queer, neurodivergent person in the space, but I've always opened myself up to everybody because I wanted to learn and grow and be diversified in my own right. And I think that people need to do the same thing, not because it feels good, not because I'm telling you to, but because many people of marginalized identities are scared of you and your nervous system's response to us existing. And it's time for people to stop being so triggered and hurt and start healing so that we can actually have a more less chaotic, hopefully, world for my kid and all the kids coming up there in the world. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I know that I will be having you back in the future, but until then, how can the people find you? Thank you so much, first of all, for having me and having another great conversation about this bias stuff. My professional page (laughs) on Instagram is going to be The Real Heal Feels Altogether. And then it's the same website that I'm now using for myself as an equity-centered wellness coach and practitioner. And I'm also under my name on LinkedIn. I hope you all gained something today that you can take with you and help the world be a better place. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would go ahead and leave us a review rate us and so you don't miss another episode make sure that you follow the beyond allyship podcast thank you so much dr j pop is out